0: Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Today, richer countries to help burden the costs for poorer countries on climate change. How will it work? What will trigger the fund? And what was achieved at the latest climate change conference? The Supreme Court rules in favour of Make It 16 to lower the voting age. Emotional scenes in the courtroom. What now? And the new campaign to spotlight the soul-destroying working conditions that family doctors face. Is that on the panel? And kombucha, the non- Alcoholic drink, which can be alcoholic, sometimes more than a low-alcohol beer. We talk about that today. And also today, Neighbours at War, after a serial 4am washing machine user in an apartment, inconsiderate or a jolly good use of off-peak, it's divided the apartment and the song whisperer today. We give you the lyrics and you tell me the song. Just six words this Monday afternoon, near a tree by a river. What's the song? Text me, 2101, email panel at rnz.co.nz. With me today, Sue Kesley, women's advocate, author, and former Green MP. Sue, welcome to the panel. Kiora Wallace. Kiora. And with us also, David Farah, editor of Kiwi Blog, Curia Poll Company, and co founder of the Taxpayers Union. Kiora, David. Kiora from Wellington. Yes indeed. So both our stu- uh, guests in studio there in Wellington and to this first, no doubt you would have witnessed the red and blue across the Motu in the weekend. The pride in Tour Samoa was everywhere, wasn't it? The Pacific nation of 200,000 reaching the finals in the Rugby League World Cup shocking the world when Samoa defeated England 27-26. No, they didn't win, unable to stop Mel Meninga's dominant Australian side from winning the title yet Again, thirty ten in the final, but in the end, didn't matter. With us is Emmeline Pickering Martin, University of Auckland Media Advisor, Pacific Communications, who wrote about this in the spin off. Emmeline, Nisambola Tolofa, good to have you here.
1: Bula, bula, Wallace, thank you.
0: You say that your house was overrun in Samoan pride, your oldest son covering the car in flags, Emmeline.
1: Yes, absolutely. He's 17 and just very Samoan, more than he is Fijian, to be fair. <laughs> and there were Samoan flags everywhere, Samoan music pumping out, and oh my goodness, huh. what a time.
0: Yeah. Tassile uh, Moana, meaning we are one ocean. I mean, this is the big win for all of us, said one commentator, saying that all Pacifica people can share in this. What's your thoughts, Imaline? Fair enough?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the first time a Pacific team's made it to something so big in terms of a final sporting event. Mm. And Samoa did it with so much passion and so much class that um, that semi-final was huge. And you just saw, like, so many people from across all the Pacific nations and in the Pacific were actually celebrating um, in different countries. The Cook Islands had a parade, for goodness <laughs> sake. Amazing.
0: What stuck out with you the most, Samoa, getting to the league finals?
1: Um, I think it's the kind of the idea that we can all get behind a nation so much and so quickly. Like, the community rallying um, in Tamaki Makoto alone was huge. We had, you know, for West Auckland um, for the Saturday afternoon kind of parades and stuff. It was done in two days. Like, that was massive organisation and really quickly, I mean, it just showed how local councils and boards and stuff can get together um, and break their own rules and have really safe, wonderful places for families to celebrate together. And I think that was a really big thing for me, watching everyone celebrating.
0: I just, I don't know about you, Sue, let's start with you. Just um, the the pride was, uh, you know, just, you could see it everywhere here. I was... You know, out near West Auckland, and it was just powerful. What about you? Did you notice the uh, the flags uh, blowing?
2: Notice it um, was everywhere in Wellington, um, and we were coming home from dinner and got caught in this parade of Samoan supporters for about half an hour. Probably, there were probably about five hundred or a thousand cars, and I just loved the pride, the exuberance, the joy. And it sort of reminded me of the joy in that you saw in the Women's uh, Rugby World Cup. And I couldn't help thinking how different it was from when we watched the All Blacks and all the anxiety and worry. So later hmm. that night, that we had the All Blacks, and they drew, uh, which was effectively winning. But everyone was – if you read the – the headlines, it was all about, oh, they didn't perform, they were below par, all this anxiety, you know, whereas the passion and the pride of the Samoan supporters, I thought it was just fantastic.
3: Yes, yeah, David, there, Emmeline, let's bring David Farrow in. Yeah, look, it's been great to see Wellington, as Sue said, you had the colours everywhere, and it has made me reflect, I think, how great it is that everyone in the Pacific does, banded together behind Samoa, and that's not how it always goes I recall when I was at university I had a t-shirt that said I support two teams, New Zealand anyone playing Australia <laughs> um, you know it would never be the case that if New Zealand got knocked out, we'd all become cheering for Australia over South Africa. Uh, And that's the case somewhere else too. You you have countries like Argentina and Brazil, fierce rivals, and if one of them get knocked out, they won't necessarily come in and support their neighbour. But in the Pacific, they can be fierce rivals, but I think it's that wonderful thing that when you've got only one Pacific team's gone through, everyone including New Zealand in this, really got behind Samoa. So there's something nice about
0: that. And Emmeline, you did mention in the piece for the spin-off there was a bit of pushback in your community around noise levels. Just asking for a bit of give and take here. Do you want to explain that a bit for us?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, we, uh, there, you know, um, I think it was the semi-final morning after. Um, there was just, you know, a bit of fireworks and some people running around tooting and stuff. And I think that's just indicative kind of of the area that I live in and the way that people are just not used to that sort of um, community hearty celebration. But the the whole, I guess, you know, when we see celebrations in Mount Eden, for instance, after the All Blacks wins, those go on and they're very loud and people are walking the streets and that sort of thing. But it's very close to, I guess, the stadium. So our little little outer suburbs aren't quite used to that. Right. Yet. But um, yeah, I think people kind of got used to it over the week. It was a very long week of celebrating. I think it's Going to go on for a little bit, so I'm glad anyway. It's beautiful to see so much joy coming from our Pacific
0: community. And just a reminder for those in the quietest suburbs to just be mindful and do notice that it's uh, it's a rare uh, occasion of celebration, I guess. Huh? I mean, it's an extraordinary celebration, and I, as I said, such a small nation with a much smaller sport infrastructure. You know, here you got a nation of two hundred thousand people. I mean, imagine the infrastructure that the UK has. The question now is how to entrench that type of support, Emmeline?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think um I was reading a couple of articles over the weekend that were saying, if we want you know the same kind of results with support, uh, English, New Zealand and Australia because they have that sort of resourcing but if we want to change how we see rugby league and even rugby, we put more resourcing into the Pacific and into our um, second tier nations, third tier nations. so yeah, I think looking at it now we can see we've got all this groundswell of support why not reallocate some of that resourcing to our smaller nations and give them the boost that they need to be real competitors they are real competitors but mm. You know, when you've had money thrown at you and really great um, training facilities and nutritionists and that sort of thing, obviously you're going to have some sort of edge, but um, there's nothing like the Pacific Heart. So, yeah, give us some resourcing and we'll be. Just right. As great next
0: time. Yeah, Boyd said. Uh, it seemed to me Samoa celebrated the occasion as much as the result. It was a refreshing attitude. Just finally, Emmeline. So you, you, you're in your house. The oldest son has covered the car in flags, and in the end, it was Australia's day. They were, you know, they were pretty dominant. How was the mood in the house watching the vinyl?
1: It was, you know, we were down at um, Zeal West in West Auckland. They screened it. They had um, some Spark Sport rights, and it was really packed. There were like, there were over two hundred people in the big car park there, and everyone was celebrating and singing, and it was just joyful that we even made it there. Obviously, there was like some dammit moments with mm. all sorts of things going on in the game, but no, it was a really positive atmosphere afterwards, having breakfast all together and kind of just enjoying the moment that was. more um, actually making it to that massive
0: big final. Wonderful. Kia ora. Thanks, Emmeline. Thanks for being with us. That's Emmeline Pickering-Martin there, uh, who wrote about uh, that great day in uh, the spin-off. Is the song, it's obviously Stairway to Heaven. Actually, no, it's not. So the song was put today uh, Near a Tree by a River. It doesn't go much to go on. It's not much to go on, is it? What is it? Uh, text me at 2101. Is it the River of Zirin? Zion? No. Is it Gordon Lightfoot? No. Anyway, heaps of responses on that. It's time for I've Been Thinking. Sue Kedgley. What's your IBT?
2: Well, <clears throat> sometime last week, supposedly last Tuesday, the world's population hit 8 billion. So that's a billion more people living on the planet than there were just uh, 12 years ago. And what surprised me was that this milestone passed with barely a murmur, you know, sort of yawn, yawn, another billion people on Earth. And you'd hope that we would all agree the planet cannot sustain a billion more people every decade because it's obviously putting, you know, unbelievable strain on our Uh, competition for resources, pollution, global emissions, wrecking our ecosystems and so on. So I'm thinking surely it's time for debate about how many people we think the planet can sustain and setting some goals around slowing down population growth as well as how we can distribute the planet's resources more fairly. Now, one of the most effective ways of slowing population growth is... Giving all girls and women access to contraception, family planning, abortion and education so that we can at least stop any more unwanted pregnancies. And women, and of course their partners, can choose when and and if they want to have children. And so I would argue access to family planning and abortion and education for all girls should be right up there alongside renewable energy, public transport, eating less meat as a mitigation strategy for climate change, which Very you almost barely ever hear.
0: I'm, I'm, look, the problem with these arguments, Sue, and I'm not saying that you are one at all, but as one expert said, these overpopulation arguments frequently originate in the global north to aim at reducing fertility in the Global South?
2: Well, I think we could start by looking at um, the the United States where they've just uh, removed uh, (coughs) um, access to abortion in many countries. So it's not a Global South issue um, as much as a a Global North one, arguably.
0: Okay, very good. Sue Kishley, I've been thinking there. Uh, Interesting uh, about your responses on that one. And David Farrah, I've been thinking...
3: Well, I've been thinking about the recent government announcement to add religion to the categories where you can be criminally prosecuted for hate speech. Because at the moment, the foregrounds are speech uh, that cites hostility on race, colour, ethnic or national origins. And I reflect on that, and all four of those things are basically immutable. You you, you have no choice in your colour, your race, or where you come from. But religion is different, certainly in New Zealand, where people choose their beliefs, they choose which religion to belong. Certainly there can be strong societal and family pressure on some people. And it makes me wonder if it's not actually more akin to political opinion, because both Political parties and religions have series of beliefs. With the key difference, it seems, being that a religion has at its core belief in some sort of supreme being or supreme beings. And when you then come to hate speech laws, should, if I take a US example, the Westboro Baptist Church have more protection against hate speech because they're a church? Than the KKK, and in New Zealand we've actually got fascinating one where the Destiny Church would get protected if you excite hostility against them, you could come into trouble, but their associated political party would not be protected. So let's remind
0: ourselves. Let's remind ourselves what this is about. We have grappled with anti-Muslim sentiment, David, as we have with anti-Semitism. Not going away. It's getting bolder. Some might say, bring in religion. Is the most important
3: thing right now? Look, I absolutely understand the motivations, but the test I always ask is: think of the most unpopular religious group and about whether how it would apply to them. For me, that's like Scientologists. Should we make it a crime to excite hostility against Scientologists? Yep.
0: Very good, David Farrar and Sue Kitcherley on this afternoon. Lovely to have you company, Monday afternoon, RNZ, the panel.